Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Where do I get that? In verse 4, circle the word Lord. He was able to make him stand. Now go to verse 6. You're going to find the word Lord mentioned not once, not twice, but three times. So you have God, and now you have Lord three times. But also in verse 6, if you have your Bible, you're going to see the word God mentioned. So in one verse, Lord is three times, God is mentioned twice. Don't stop there. If you go to verse 8, you're going to find the word Lord is mentioned three times there. Lord, Lord, Lord. And then in verse 9, you see Christ and Lord both mentioned. So what you're seeing is God, Lord, Christ, the deity. Again, Paul is bringing him into this teaching here. Watch this very carefully. Listen carefully. It's because what we do in our Christian life, mature or immature, whatever we do, it is always done under the all-seeing eyes of God and that we're to live our life in in pleasure to Him Biblically, his way, not our way. So whether we're strong, we shouldn't judge the weak. And whether we're weak, we shouldn't judge the strong because we all serve God, Lord, Christ together. So keep your focus upward. Whatever you do, we have to give an account of who we are. Now, that being said, let's go back to our simple little exposition here. Back, if you will, at verse 4 here. The second area that he says here, if we want to get along better with one another, it's because the Lord supports each of us. Interesting passage here. It says, who are you to judge the servant of another? We wouldn't do that in the practical world. I I can't really judge or give a bonus or take a bonus away from some other person that's in another company. I have no job. I can't do anything with him. He belongs to someone else. In the spiritual context, who am I to judge the servant of another? Meaning you don't serve me. You serve the Lord. You answer to the Lord. So I ought not to judge you because the judge is God and he judges me and you I don't have to judge you then it says to his own master he stands or he falls that means if I'm strong I'm gonna stand or fall underneath the judgment of the Lord he will stand and then it says for the Lord is able to make him stand so he's the one who supports all of us so in a sense everyone is weak before the Lord and everyone needs the Lord so liberated believers view rigid self-righteous legalists as being without joy And legalists sometimes view liberated Christians as having loose living, low spirituality, and those things that maybe would hinder them from being all that they should be. And the bottom line of that is, wherever those people are, liberated or legalist, as Christians, they all stand underneath one master, which is the Lord. Let me go to number three. We're going to move along here a little bit more rapidly. Because the Lord is sovereign over each of us. Kind of fits real well with verse 4. Verse uh, 5 through 9 is a little longer, so let me take a moment here and read through this for you so you can follow along. It says, one person regards one day above another. Now for a moment here, who do you think in the crowd do you think Paul is speaking about? Who do you think? One person one per- thinks one day is above another. Who do you think that would be? Who do you think? It would be the Jewish people. Why would that be? The Jewish had what? Six days, and on the seventh day, what did they have to do, everyone? Rest. It was a Sabbath. And the Sabbath had a whole group of responsibilities that you could not do, and you had to really restrict yourself for that one day. 
And so in a sense, as you looked at that whole week, that one day was elevated as that is the day. That is a special day. And that's what this is talking about. Mostly speaking to the implication of the Jewish people. One person regards one day above another. Another then says, no, that's not the important day. He, he's going to regard another day. And then he says, you know what? Every day is important to the Lord. I think most Christians, wouldn't you agree to that? That every day is before the Lord? Do we only worship on Sunday, yes or no? We worship all the time because our worship is inside of us and we worship with him purely and accurately when our heart is right. So whether it's in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whether it's at work or play or at church, it's all worship. Now we may designate a time that we corporately get together and we worship at a certain time, but that doesn't make this more mystical, magical, or better than the other times other than that we have this opportunity to get together. Now not building the argument that you don't get together, what I'm speaking about is it doesn't matter what day that you would get together upon which to worship. Can you imagine how many churches today have maybe split because they had service in the morning and now they wanted to institute an evening service and a number of people says, no, we don't come back, we don't need church twice. Or if they said, you know what, we worship on Sunday, that's the day Christ rose from the dead. You want to worship on Saturday? Why do you want to worship on Saturday? That's not the day Jesus rose from the grave. And so that little group of people will marginalize the other group of people and now you've got a division amongst the people and then some people don't drift off to find another church because they don't agree with that. No day and no time is sacred. We've chosen corporately to select Sunday morning because that's the time that Jesus rose from the dead. That does not mean that it's a magical better day and it's the day God wants us to worship. Have you ever thought about why do we worship in the morning sometime between 10 and 11, 11 and noon? Have you ever thought about that? I didn't know until I pastored in upstate New York and I got schooled up there. I wasn't going to change the time, but I had different people in my church and they were telling me this is why we have our services because I wanted to move, I wanted to add a service at 8 o'clock in the morning. So he then could have Sunday school in the middle and then the worship service later. And I had a bunch of pushback from the 8 o'clock, and that's how I got school. And they said this. They said, you know, in the old days, maybe 150, 200 years ago, if you were a dairy farmer, you had to milk the cows. If you had a farm, you would at least have at least one or two cows to take care of your own family if you weren't a dairy farm. And generally, the cows would give their milk in the morning, twice a day in the afternoon. And so the Christian farmers could not come early in the morning or at other times. So they adjusted the worship service times mostly around the times that they would milk the cows. And that's how the schedule got to be at this time in the morning. So again, there's no sacred day. So in the future, should the leadership of this church sense that perhaps for greater facilitation of your growth as well as the growth of this church that it might want to add a service in the morning or add a Sunday night service or add a Saturday night service. But it's not unspiritual to do that. Now, pragmatically, you could ask some questions that might uh, factor into the decision, but it's not based upon are you more spiritual or less spiritual. What might be the case is if you begin judging one or the other, that might then call into question your true spirituality, not what day we do it. Well, let's go back to the passage. It goes on to say, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Where do you want to worship? When do you want to worship? What's your special day? It says, he who observes the day, observes it for whom? The Lord. So when you make your decision, it's, I want to glorify the Lord, and I have no right to judge someone else and question why they're going to worship the Lord. 
Now let's go a little bit further on that whole issue. Now I'm, I'm not trying to pick out changing of services. Do not read in this that the new guy that might be coming in is going to want to change services. That's not anything in our discussion. I'm just trying to lead you through some practical things as a faith family. Some people then will say, well, if I do this on a Saturday night, why do you do that? Well, because those people need Sunday to do other things. You're just making it convenient for them. And we shouldn't serve the Lord based on convenience. We should serve the Lord based on our commitment to Christ. And I understand that logic. On the other side of that, though, is those people that say, all right, I want to meet on Sunday morning. Do not we make other things convenient for those that just want to worship on Sunday morning convenient for them? If we didn't do, we'd go all the way back 200 years. We'd have men on one side, women on the other side. We'd all be sitting on benches, and I'd be preaching for three hours. I kind of like that last part. But the point still being is we then bring in creature comforts and for conveniences. And part of that is so we can have worship better. Sometimes it's better because we can bring people in better, and they're more acceptable to do this. So it becomes something very, very helpful. Coming back to this again... Those people that worship out of convenience on a Saturday night might very well be that they could never come or consistently come to engage the faith family on Sunday because of their work schedule. Other demands in their life that we do not know that God has brought into their life and all we're doing is expanding the opportunity for them to gather with believers for worship. The point still being is there's no one magical mystical day. It doesn't really matter whether you want to worship every day and go to every service or you just want to go to one. The point of the matter is is that we worship the Lord and we answer to Him in Him alone and we let that other person do that and we love them. We accept them. Remember, that's the principle upon which this is built. Let's go back to the passage again and it says, And he who eats... All right. So now you have a Jewish person and this person here is deciding to eat shellfish. He does it to the Lord. Or you look at the Gentile that's coming out of an idol and he then looks at that says I can eat that meat it's all right and he does it to the Lord so in other words we're we're believing ahead of time based on love that that person is doing it for the Lord it says for he gives thanks to the Lord isn't that beautiful however you do it your heart is turned toward the Lord you're doing it for the Lord and you're giving thanks to the Lord now let's flip it what about those who eats not they're not going to eat the meat that offered to idols they're not going to eat shellfish for the Lord he does not eat it. He says, you know, I, in my heart for the Lord, I don't want to do this because I think it's going to offend the Lord. So for me, I'm choosing not to do that. But what does he do? He gives thanks. Was that bad? It says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. In other words, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the Lord. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. So whether you do this or don't do this, we all fall underneath the umbrella of God. We do it for Him. We do it to honor Him. We do it and we say thanks for it. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. What end? The freedom to be able to worship what day we want, eat what we want, not eat what we want. We do this for the Lord, that He might be Lord, and would you underline this, both of the dead and the living. So in other words, He's Lord over everybody, whether we make Him Lord or not, and we do it unto them. Now take a breath with me for just a moment. What I would really like you to now sense is in our faith family right here, we do have people that are coming out of all sorts of background, Taoism, Buddhism, Roman Catholicism. They're coming out of a very pagan, humanistic, secular worldview. They're coming out of being beaten up in some church that has a lot of false doctrine, a lot of emotion. You have others that are coming out of churches that are very legalistic and everything was don't, 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 don't. And they're all just kind of coming together and now they're being 
properly liberated, but they're still growing through some of these choices that they're making. Wouldn't you want those people in your church? Wait, wait, let me go a little further. Wouldn't you want to be a part of God's movement in their life by giving them the time and the love for them to grow to be all that God wants them to be? And so we're not going to judge one or the other that we're going to make this, here it is, a safe place to worship and to grow. Now again, there's some parameters, but for the most part it starts with aloha, gracing one another. All right. So keep that in mind again. So he is Lord over all of us. So don't compromise your own conscience and don't lead another to compromise theirs, but to love one another. Let's go to the fourth and final one now. Why do we do this? How do we do this? Because the Lord is the final judge of each of us. Follow along as it goes a little bit further in verse 10 through 12. It says, but you, that's speaking again as it takes you back up to the first part of the passage to the mature Christians. So he's like speaking to me and you, hopefully. We're growing in the Lord. We're a little bit more mature. We have a better understanding of the totality of Scripture and the freedoms that we can enjoy in Christ, yet with governors in it. He says, why do you, the weaker brother and the stronger brother, judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? In other words, you judge and condemn them or you are contempt of them. You despise them. You move away from them. You don't move closer to them to help them, to love them, to model and perhaps be available to mentor them. For we will all stand, the mature, the immature, the strong and the weak, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's telling me Christians now because only Christians stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is a place of judgment by Christ for believers not to determine whether or not they go to heaven but to determine the amount of rewards they get based on the deeds they lived in their life and in this context it would be the deeds of accepting one another loving one another helping each other to grow being patient with one another that we will stand before them before the Lord and those that are choosing now not to grow in the Lord that remain immature for whatever reason they're going to stand before the Lord too but we are not the judge at the judgment seat of Christ the Lord is Let's go a little bit further. Then he says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, strong or weak, and every tongue shall give praise to God, strong or weak, so then each one of us will have to give an account of himself to God. So my dear friends, this passage is telling us now to look at one another and to really love them. I would like to share a little bit of teaching Carol gave on Wednesday night to the women at WAVE. As we were driving home afterwards, she was telling me, I taught the women this. It was so good, I have to share it with you. So pay attention for just a moment, a caution that she gave. She talked about the phrase, old person mentality. Now, <clears throat> none of you are old, all right? But there is that in your mind, an old person mentality. When I think of an old person mentality, I think of this crotchety old guy, masculine context, sitting on his porch with his cane. And every kid who maybe kind of walks on his grass, he raises his cane and says, get off my grass, get off my grass. You know, those curmudgeon type people as they get older. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know anybody like that. And certainly don't nudge the person next to you. All right, but you know what I mean by an old person's mentality. Now, let me back off a little bit so I don't get emails this afternoon. Not every old person has that particular old person mentality, and it's not only old people that have that mentality, but I think you know that there is that tendency. If you could at least somewhat agree with that, would you say, uh-huh? All right, all right, that being the case. 
So then what Carol did so wisely, she took, I think she took a sheet of paper, and on it she kind of put a dot. And she used this as somewhat of a general analogy. And she said, this little dot here kind of reminds us when we're a little bit younger. We tend to not so know so much from right and wrong and good and this. We're, we're not so judgmental when we're younger. You know, th- that's what you tell your kids. You got that. Is, that kid is a friend. You're like, what's wrong with you? Kind of a, you're marrying who? You know, kind of a thing. So they don't, they don't have that same level of discernment. And then you get a little bit older in middle age and you have a little bit better maturity as you're going along and you're sensing things. And so the circle is getting bigger. But it seems like the older we get, we start formulating our own, what we call, view of life. And now it's like we think we know what is right and wrong for everybody else in the world and how they should do it and why they should do it. And now we think that we become the judge of everybody. And it's, get off my lawn, attitude again. Get, go, don't, stop, all of that. And she was cautioning the ladies, because we are getting older, all right, Carol and I, kind of talking to each other. And we don't want to get an old person's mentality. Do the same thing all the time. I remember we were in bed one night. And uh, we were laying there. And it was late. And Carol says, how are you doing? I said, I'm a little hungry. And uh, she said, what would you like? What do you think? I said, a pizza. And she said, I could have a pizza. Well, I don't have any pizza here. And, you know, Costco is closed. And I said, yeah, I know. She said, you really want to go out for pizza? And I looked at her and I said, we're already in bed and we're old. And she said, but I don't want to get old. I don't want to be old. And I said, you don't? I said, okay. So we got dressed and we drove somewhere in town here. And we found, I don't know, some bar, I guess, some place that sold pizzas to go do that. Because we didn't want to have an old person's mentality. Now, you're saying, how does that illustration fit in here? He's not talking about old bodies and all, but he is talking about this, that we need to love one another. We need to care for one another. We need to allow God to have the time to bring that person along to maybe where we are in our thinking of the Christian walk and the Christian life because we very well may be right. Watch this, watch this. We do not want to in our countenance or persona in any way leave any impression that we've locked the door on those people so that we couldn't help them later on in life. And at the same time, we also want to have that humble spirit because someone may come along to us and tell us to get off the porch and quit shaking our cane at other people as well. So I just urge you folks that as we face a new future in our church, one that I'm very excited about, that we would be one that we would know what hills to die on, what hills to perhaps spill some blood on, and what to fuss over. And it begins, first of all, by accepting everyone where they are remembering who supports us, every one of us. The Lord supports us. He will help us. He stands with us. He's undergirding us. And then we remember that he's the sovereign judge, not us. So we're going to back off, Buckwheat, and kind of let the Lord work. And then we're going to remember that the final judge of ourself, him just being sovereign, is going to be the Lord. And I want when the Lord judges me, he's going to look down and see a very gracious, kind spirit. I'm not going to tolerate sin. But at the same time, I'm going to love that person and somehow be a part of God's working in their life. And if our church was like that, we'll probably be one of the more unique churches in this island. And I know we can do it because we've got the people here that can. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. 
I want to speak to those just like Paul did to those of you that are mature. You're already a believer in Christ. Would you ask the Lord to help you to have a very loving and accepting spirit of aloha to everyone? I don't mean you have to compromise your doctrine. You don't have to compromise the fundamentals of the faith. But you might have to compromise your disposition. And ask the Lord to help you to accept your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of you who are on the other side of this, you might look at some of those that have the liberty and they might be pushing the envelope. I don't know and I'm not going to judge. But would you accept them right now? Because the Lord knows how to bring those who are stepping out of bounds back into bounds. Don't you agree with that? So let the Lord do that. So let's accept our brothers and sisters in Christ. You talk to him as I'm now sharing this with you. Now, accepting and approving of our brothers and sisters are two separate things. So it doesn't mean we have to approve of sin. But not let make everything a, tra- a trail to some sin when it's just, this is what they do. And they're doing it unto the Lord. Because we have a Heavenly Father that will help us do this. Let's end our judging and perhaps even showing contempt raising our eyebrows, little huff and puffing when we're around other people, little cheap shots and innuendos when we hear about other brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not know how you demoralize other people when you do that. How you bring other people into your little world of criticism and judging and condemning. You might feel good for a moment that you're high and mighty on your spirituality, but I don't really believe it's helping others. So, Come with me on this journey of humility. Come with me on this journey of learning how I can help other people even though I I don't see them doing what they could be doing and yet to be patient and figure out a way that they sense my acceptance. Not Not my approval yet, but they know that I accept them first so that I can then help them. Would you do that? Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Get beyond my words and get beyond my tone and get beyond me and get into the arms of Jesus who's accepted you as I want to have him accept me. Knowing that he loves me too much to leave me where I am when I'm wrong. Having full confidence that by his grace and his spirit, using his word and sometimes his people to help me to become kinder, more merciful, more gracious. Those of you who are outside perhaps the faith right now, I just want you to know there's no good deed you do yourself. It's just coming to him saying, I'm a broken person, absolutely in need of a Savior. You don't make him your Savior. He's already Savior. You don't make him your Lord. He's already Lord. But what you do is you accept him as the Savior by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So now he is your Savior. Jesus says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Trust him right now. He doesn't lie. If you trust him, that he will forgive you. He will forgive you. You're putting your trust in him. And then you become a part of the most wonderful, wonderful family in the world. A forever family made up of brothers and sisters in Christ but with God, Christ, as our Father. 
You might say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but the best in a how, I'm accepting you as my Savior by placing my faith in you. Do that. If you're doing that, you can maybe jot it on the card or see me afterwards. I'd be glad to talk with you and answer some questions. But I hope you'd do that. The rest of us in here, let's work on us by, um, yeah, getting off the porch so we're not raising our cane. And yeah, quit stepping on everybody else's yards too. And let's just love each other. Shall we do that? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege you've given to me to be able to share your word with others. I get excited about what you're teaching me and makes me want to just study more. And then it makes me want to preach more. But Father, it's not just the studying and the preaching, it's the doing part. And Father, we're not blessed if we hear, we're blessed if we do. So Father, help all of us together as a family embrace these truths so we can get along better with one another. For thy glory we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.